Okay, folks, we're in lesson seven this morning, and we're going to continue on in our study of the book of Acts. So we've already gone through chapter two, where we see the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the beginning of the church. And now as we get into chapter three, we're really going to see a church that's empowered by the Holy Spirit as it begins to fulfill what Jesus called them to. He said that they would receive power and that they would be witnesses to him, witnesses about him in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So when we come to chapter 3 now, we're really going to see the start of that fulfillment as they are witnesses in Jerusalem. And so let's look. We're going to see a healing that's going to take place, a significant healing And so let's take a look here and see what's happening in this passage. So the first thing we're going to look at in verses 1 to 10 is the miracle that takes place. So look with me, Acts chapter 3. Look at what the writer Luke writes. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain lame A certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that this was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Okay, so let's take a look. We're going to look here at these verses. We're going to look at the miracle that takes place under the ministry of Peter and John. First thing I want you to notice is verse 1 tells us that Peter and John went to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, you have to understand in the, in, in the New Testament how they're, how they're grading time, how they're judging time. So if you think about it, if you woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning, that's when time for the day began. So the third hour would be 9 o'clock in the morning. Well, here we're talking about the ninth hour. That would be 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So Peter and John went to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's also the time that they called the hour of prayer, the hour of prayer. So this was an important time in the temple as people would gather for prayer. People would gather for prayer. Now, I want you to notice that a man who was born lame was set at the temple gate to beg from those who entered. So there was this fellow... He was born lame, and and later we're going to see that he's over 40 years old. So here's a guy who's been lame for whatever reason. He can't walk 
for over 40 years, and they would set him at the temple every day to beg alms. Now, let me just kind of explain to you what alms are. People, pilgrims, worshipers, as they go to the temple, one of the things that they would do is, is that they would, in their service towards God, would give to help those who are in need to help the poor. So outside of the temple, you would probably have a lot of people who are begging, asking for this help, these alms. So here's a guy who would be daily set at the temple in order to get money from the pilgrims and to get money from those who are coming to the temple to worship. So here's a guy who was born lame. He sat at the temple gate, temple gates called Beautiful, uh, to beg from those who enter into the temple. So I mean, he's probably a regular fixture. I mean, if you think about it, let's say they set him out there when he was 12, because that's adulthood in a Jewish culture is 12 for a Jewish male. So if you're thinking, he's probably been there about 30 years. Probably been sitting at the same place every day for 30 years. Do you think people would know who he is? Do you think they would recognize him? So this man, verse Two and three tells us this man requested help from Peter and John. So here's Peter and John. They're doing what they would normally do, coming into the temple. And they see this guy. And, of course, a beggar is going to draw attention. And so they give this guy their attention. They're looking at him. And so this guy thinks that they're going to help him. They're going to give him something. So he requests help. He requests alms from Peter and John. Now, Here's where we get to the healing in verses 4 through 10. Here's what we're going to see about the healing. The man looks to Peter after being called to give him his attention. So Peter looks at him and says, hey, look at me. Pay attention to me. So the guy looks at Peter. He's expecting to get some sort of monetary gift, some sort of alms. But here's what Peter says in verse 6. He announces that he has nothing to give but tells him to stand in the name of Jesus. He announces that he has nothing to give. I mean, think about it. If you're the the guy begging, some guy looks at you and says, hey, I've got nothing to give you. Your first reaction is going to be one of disappointment. Why are you bothering me? But Peter announces, but this is one thing I do have. I, I command you to stand in the name of Jesus. So he's, he's telling him to stand in the name of Jesus. Now, verses 7 and 8 are, are amazing verses. It tells us that the man was immediately healed as he leaps about praising God. Now, here's what I want you to notice. This is what's so amazing to me about this miracle. Here's a guy who's born, been born lame. He has never walked in his life. So he doesn't know how to walk. He's never walked in his life. And his legs probably are atrophied from lack of use. The muscles is not, are not there. But the healing is so complete that it tells us, look with me, if you look at these verses, the healing is so complete, look at verses 7 and 8, that his feet and ankle bones received strength. So all the way down to his bones... Everything is restored so that, here's a guy who's never walked, 
immediately stands up and starts walking around and jumping and leaping and praising God. Folks, that is a miracle. Here's a guy who's never walked before. His muscles have never been exercised in this way. He receives a healing that's so complete that he's able to get up to start walking around, leaping around, and praising God. That is an amazing miracle. That's an amazing miracle. And so now as he's running around, he's, he's, he's going with Peter and John into the temple because he, they've walked through the gate. They're in, going into the temple. He's walking around. People are looking at this guy who's acting crazy, and they're recognizing him. Knowing the lame man, the people saw that he was healed. Knowing the lame man, the people saw that he was healed. I mean, this is what's so amazing about this. Here's a guy who for 30-plus years is sitting out there at the gate begging every day. People know who he is, and then they hear this commotion as they're in the temple, and they look, and it's the guy who's been sitting out, laying out by the gate, begging for 30-plus years, walking around excited, praising God. That's going to get your attention because they saw that he had been healed. Now this, this amazingly provides the opportunity for Peter to share. I mean, this miracle didn't just take place just to help one guy. This miracle, God allowed this miracle to be there for others. Here's here's what I want you to understand. God never does anything just for one person. He does it for a greater purpose. That's true whether in our lives or in someone else's life. And so God's doing this for a greater purpose. And so what happens here is an opportunity for Peter to share the gospel. So notice with me, we're going to look at verses 11 through 26 as he shares the gospel. Notice with me what he says there. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. When Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you so, look so intently at us as though we, by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him his perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, 
which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you will hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel, those who followed, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, In your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first God, having raised up his servant Jesus, and sent him to bless you in turning away everyone from your iniquities. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at these verses, verses 11 through 26, and look really at what Peter's trying to get their attention about. He's going to use this miracle as an opportunity to present to them the gospel of Jesus Christ and their need for salvation through Jesus Christ. So notice with me, verse 11. Notice the response. The healed man held on to Peter and John as the crowd surrounded them. So there's this big commotion. Everybody's wondering, excited. The, the, lame man's, the lame man is walking again. What's happened? God's doing a great thing right here in the temple. This lame man's holding on to Peter and John. The crowd's surrounding them. Peter gets up now. He's going to speak, and he's going to use this opportunity to share the gospel. So Peter addresses the crowd and asks them why they are astounded at this miracle. This is a logical response. Peter's whole point is, is, wait a minute now, hold on a second, guys. Why? Why are you so freaked out, excited about this miracle? Like this is something new that's happening here in Jerusalem. Why are you doing this? Why are you so freaked out like this is something new happening in Jerusalem? Logical thing. Logical thing, especially when you consider Jesus. In fact, that's what he says. Peter points out that the same, that the same, points out that Jesus did the same thing and they rejected and delivered him to death. Here's what Peter's saying. This isn't something new, people. Just a few weeks ago, Jesus was doing the same thing in your midst. Jesus Christ, for three years, walked among you, healed, raised the dead, made the blind to see, healed the lame, cast out demons. He was walking among you, but you rejected him. You rejected him before Pilate. Notice that. In fact, that's, notice that. I think that's very interesting. Peter makes the point here that Pilate was willing, determined to let him go. But they denied him. They denied the presence of Jesus. They denied and delivered him, and they rejected him and wanted somebody else. And so he's saying here, look, this is the same thing Jesus did, but you guys rejected him. You rejected him. Peter proclaims that this man was healed in the name of Jesus, whom they rejected. Look, it's not us. We don't have this power. This power comes through Jesus Christ, whom you rejected. 
through his name, through his authority, whom you rejected. That's got to be a shock to them. So he tells the crowd that they and their leaders rejected Jesus in their ignorance. I think this is amazing. He flat out, he's telling them, look, you're the ones who did this. You're the ones who rejected him. But here, I know why you did it. It's because you're ignorant. It's because you don't truly understand. It's because your eyes are blinded. Look, you and I need to understand something. I think we see this throughout all of the New Testament. When it talks about those who persecute us, when it talks about those who reject us, those who kill us, the reality is, is they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. In fact, isn't that Jesus' word, forgive them, for they know not what they do? They don't understand. They, they are ignorant. They're blinded. They're acting out of their sin, and they don't truly understand what's going on here. And he's saying to them, you guys, your leaders, you and your leaders were ignorant. You were blinded to the fact of who Jesus Christ really is. So what happened to Jesus was a fulfillment of, of that which was foretold by the prophets. Now, here's, here's what I think is amazing. You would, on the surface, look and say, wow, what a tragedy. Jesus is rejected by his own people. He's crucified. Peter comes along and says, look, just so you understand, even though you rejected him, even though you did it in your ignorance, everything that happened to Jesus was foretold by the prophets. It was supposed to happen to him. It was going to happen to him. It was already acknowledged beforehand by the prophets of old that Jesus would be rejected, Jesus would suffer, Jesus would die. So, the crowd is called to repentance so that they may receive the blessings from the Lord. So here's what he's doing. He's saying to him, okay, you're not ignorant now because I'm telling you what's going on. I'm showing you from the scripture that what's happening here was foretold. In fact, all the way back to Moses, it was foretold that this prophet would come and you rejected him, but I'm calling you to repentance. I'm calling you to repentance. Now, let's just stop for a moment. We've got to discuss that because that's a word. We hear it. We kind of understand it. But the reality is, is we don't practice it. And it's because we don't truly know what it means. So all of us here would understand confession. In fact, we do a lot of confession. Confessing is saying to God, I did what you saw me do. We confess our sin. But a lot of us equate confession with repentance, but it's not the same. Confession is a part of repentance, but it's not Repentance. Repentance is an acknowledgement of sin and a decision to turn from it, to, to go in a different direction, to do a different thing. It's to stop sinning, to, to acknowledge that you've sinned, and now to make a decision to go and follow Jesus or follow God and do what he wants you to do. It's a change of your mind. So he's telling them, Look, it's not just enough for you to say, yes, we crucified him, but now it's, it's, it's enough for you to, to, to repent of what you've done. Yes, we killed him, but now we're going to follow him. That's what repentance is. And as they repent, Peter tells them so that they receive the blessings from the Lord. So again, 22 and 23, he's talking about the testimony of Moses. Moses. 
Peter points out that Moses tells them that a prophet like him would come. Very clearly, Moses said, look, there's going to be from among your brethren a prophet like me. Pay attention to him. He's going to come. And Peter's implication here is that this prophet is Jesus. But he also points out that those who reject this prophet will be destroyed. And the destruction here isn't a physical destruction. It's really, it's really significant that it's talking about a destruction that's a spiritual destruction. If you reject Jesus, you are destroying your life spiritually. What does that mean? Ultimately, you're going to hell. Ultimately, you're going to hell. So, he says, in verses 24 and 25, that all of the prophets spoke of Jesus because through him, all of the nations would be blessed. So Peter's making a point here. Look, if you know you're the Old Testament scriptures, what they would call the, the Torah, if you know the law and the prophets, you would know that all of the prophets speak to this Jesus because Jesus is the Messiah. He's the suffering Messiah that we rejected, that we crucified. And all of the prophets speak to him because through him, all of the nations would be blessed. And so he goes on in verse 26, and he tells us his purpose. The Jews were to be the primary beneficiaries of the blessing to turn them from their sins. Here's why Jesus came. Peter's saying it for these, for these folks. Here's why Jesus came. Look with me at verse 26. In turning away every one of you from your iniquities. See, I think this is so missing from our gospel presentations. We present the gospel and we present Jesus and we talk about heaven later on. But I'm going to be honest with you, most folks aren't even living there. They're living right now in the destructiveness of their behaviors and their sins. And, and, they're, and they're caught in the quagmire of that and they don't know how to get out of it. Peter is saying that by believing in him and trusting in him, and committing their life to follow him, he will turn them away from the iniquities of their life. He will provide freedom to them from their sins, which is destroying their lives. See, that's what salvation is. Salvation isn't just heaven later on. Salvation isn't just forgiveness. Salvation is being able to turn away from the iniquities of your life. So that's what we see here in chapter 3. Now next week, we're going to see that the people respond. You're going to be amazed. A large group of people believe because of his message. But we're also going to see that it's going to materialize now that with the blessing of people responding to the gospel, there are also those who are going to reject the gospel. Always recognize that. While there are some who will respond... There will also be those who will reject, and we're going to see that oppression begins. Oppression begins, and that's what we're going to look at next week as we get into chapter 8.